chapters twenty one and twenty two of biography of an american bondman by his daughter by josephine brown this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty one yet press on for it shall make you mighty among men and from the eyrie of your eagle thought you shall look down on monarchs in eighteen fifty two mr brown found from the shortness of the lecturing season which in england lasts only from november to may and is furnishing a precarious means of living that he must adopt some other mode of providing support for himself and his daughters and therefore through the solicitation of some of his literary friends commenced writing for the english press not having received a classical education he had often to rewrite his articles his contributions were mainly on american questions for instance his articles on the death of henry clay daniel webster the return of anthony burns were gladly received by the london press and the fugitive was liberally paid for his labours the writer of this has known mr brown to be engaged all night after the arrival of an american mail in writing for a morning newspaper in the autumn of eighteen fifty two he published his three years in europe which paid him well the criticisms on this work brought the fugitive prominently before the public and gave him a position among literary men never before enjoyed by any coloured american the london morning advertiser in its review said this remarkable book of a remarkable man cannot fail to add to the practical protests already entered in britain against the absolute bondage of three millions of our fellow-creatures the impressions of a self-educated son of slavery here set forth must hasten the period when the senseless and impious denial of common claims to a common humanity on the score of colour shall be scouted with scorn in every civilised and christian country and when this shall be attained among the means of destruction of the hideous abomination his compatriots will remember with respect and gratitude the doings and sayings of william wells brown the volume consists of a sufficient variety of scenes persons arguments inferences speculations and opinions to satisfy and amuse the most exigent of those who read pour ce dessinuer while those who look deeper into things and view with anxious hope the progress of nations and of mankind will feel that the good cause of humanity and freedom of christianity enlightenment and brotherhood cannot fail to be served by such a book as this the london literary gazette in speaking of the book remarked the appearance of this book is too remarkable a literary event to pass without a notice at the moment when attention in this country is directed to the state of the coloured people in america the book appears with additional advantage if nothing else were attained by its publication it is well to have another proof of the capability of the negro intellect 
altogether mr brown has written a pleasing and amusing volume and we are glad to bear this testimony to the literary merit of a work by a negro author that a man said the morning chronicle who was a slave for the first twenty years of his life and who has never had a day's schooling should produce such a book as this cannot but astonish those who speak disparagingly of the african race the london critic pronounced it a pleasingly and well-written book it is said the athenaeum racy and amusing the eclectic review in its long criticism has the following the extraordinary excitement produced by uncle tom's cabin will we hope prepare the public of great britain and america for this lively book of travels by a real fugitive slave though he never had a day's schooling in his life he has produced a literary work not unworthy of a highly educated gentleman our readers will find in these letters much instruction not a little entertainment and the beatings of a manly heart on behalf of a down-trodden race with which they will not fail to sympathize the british banner edited by dr campbell said we have read this book with an unusual measure of interest seldom indeed have we met with anything more captivating it somehow happens that all these fugitive slaves are persons of superior talents the pith of the volume consists in narratives of voyages and journeys made by the author in england scotland ireland and france and we can assure our readers that mr brown has travelled to some purpose the number of white men is not great who could have made more of the many things that came before them there is in the work a vast amount of quotable matter which but for want of space we should be glad to extract as the volume however is published with a view to promote the benefit of the interesting fugitive we deem it better to give a general opinion by which curiosity may be whetted than to gratify it by large citation a book more worth the money has not for a considerable time come into our hands the provincial papers and the london press united in their praise of this the first literary production of travels by a fugitive slave the glasgow citizen in its review remarked w wells brown is no ordinary man or he could not have so remarkably surmounted the many difficulties and impediments of his training as a slave by dint of resolution self-culture and force of character he has rendered himself a popular lecturer to a british audience and vigorous expositor of the evils and atrocities of that system whose chains he has shaken off so triumphantly and for ever we may safely pronounce william wells brown a remarkable man and a full refutation of the doctrine of the inferiority of the negro the glasgow examiner said this is a thrilling book independent of adventitious circumstances which will enhance its popularity the author of it is not a man in america but a chattel a thing to be bought and sold and whipped but in europe he is an author and a successful one too he gives in this book an interesting and graphic description of a three years residence in europe the book will no doubt obtain as it well deserves a rapid and wide popularity the caledonian 
mercury concludes an article of more than two columns of criticism and extracts as follows the profound anti-slavery feeling produced by uncle tom's cabin needed only such a book as this which shows so forcibly the powers and capacity of the negro intellect to deepen the impression mr brown's criticism on thomas carlyle brought about his ears a whirlwind of remarks from the friends of the distinguished scotchman while a portion of the press sided with the fugitive and pronounced the article ably written and most just in its criticism the following is the offensive part of the essay and refers to his meeting mr carlyle in an omnibus i had scarcely taken my seat when my friend who was seated opposite me with looks and gestures informed me that we were in the presence of some distinguished individual i eyed the countenances of the different persons but in vain to see if i could find any one who by his appearance showed signs of superiority over his fellow-passengers i had given up the hope of selecting the person of note when another look from my friend directed my attention to a gentleman seated in the corner of the omnibus he was a tall man with strongly marked features hair dark and coarse there was a slight stoop of the shoulder that bend which is always a characteristic of studious men but he wore on his countenance a forbidding and disdainful frown that seemed to tell one that he thought himself better than those about him his dress did not indicate a man of high rank and had we been in america i should have taken him for an ohio farmer while i was scanning the features and general appearance of the gentleman the omnibus stopped and put down three or four of the passengers which gave me an opportunity of getting a seat by the side of my friend who in a low whisper informed me that the gentleman whom i had been eyeing so closely was no less a person than thomas carlyle i had read his hero worship and past and present and had formed a high opinion of his literary abilities but his recent attack upon the emancipated people of the west indies and his laborious article in favour of the re-establishment of the lash and slavery had created in my mind a dislike for the man and i almost regretted that we were in the same omnibus in some things mr carlyle is right but in many he is entirely wrong as a writer mr carlyle is often monotonous and extravagant he does not exhibit a new view of nature or raise insignificant objects into importance but generally takes commonplace thoughts and events and tries to express them in stronger and statelier language than others he holds no communion with his kind but stands alone without mate or fellow he is like a solitary peak all access to which is cut off he exists not by sympathy but by antipathy mr carlyle seems chiefly to try how he shall display his powers and astonish mankind by starting new trains of speculation or by expressing old ones so as not to be understood he cares little what he says so that he can say it differently from others to read his works is one thing to understand them is another if any one thinks that i exaggerate let him sit for an hour over sartor resartus and if he does not rise from its pages place his three or four dictionaries on the shelf and say i am right i promise never again to say a word against thomas carlyle he writes one page in favour of reform and ten against it he would hang all prisoners to get rid of them yet the inmates of the prisons and workhouses are better off than the poor 
his heart is with the poor yet the blacks of the west indies should be taught that if they will not raise sugar and cotton of their own free will quashy should have the whip applied to them he frowns upon the reformatory speakers upon the boards of exeter hall yet he is the prince of reformers he hates heroes and assassins yet cromwell was an angel and charlotte corday a saint he scorns everything and seems to be tired of what he is by nature and tries to be what he is not End of chapter twenty one chapter twenty two fling out the anti-slavery flag and let it not be furled till like a planet of the skies it sweeps around the world mr brown's name being often brought before the public through the reviews of his new book and different sketches of his life having been published in the london biographical magazine public good true britain and other periodicals he was invited to lecture before literary associations in london and the provincial towns this induced him to get up a course of lectures on america and her great men st domingo etc thus during the lecturing season he was busily engaged either before institutions or speaking on american slavery in the spring of eighteen fifty three the fugitive brought out his work clotel or the president's daughter a book of near three hundred pages being a narrative of slave life in the southern states this work called forth new criticisms on the negro author and his literary efforts the london daily news pronounced it a book that would make a deep impression while the leader edited by the son of lee hunt thought many parts of it equal to anything which has appeared on the slavery question thus the fugitive slave slowly worked his way up into english literary society after delivering a lecture before the london metropolitan athenaeum the managing committee instructed the secretary to thank mr brown which he did in the following note metropolitan athenaeum one eighty nine strand june twenty first my dear sir i have much pleasure in conveying to you the best thanks of the managing committee of this institution for the excellent lecture you gave here last evening and also in presenting you in their names with an honorary membership of the club it is hoped that you will often avail yourself of its privileges by coming amongst us you will then see by the cordial welcome of the members that they protest against the odious distinctions made between man and man and the abominable traffic of which you have been a victim for my own part i shall be happy to be serviceable to you in any way and at all times be glad to place the advantages of the institution at your disposal i am my dear sir yours truly william strudwick secretary mr w wells brown through mr brown's influence and exertions an anti-slavery meeting was held on the first of august during the three last years of his residence in london the morning advertiser describes one of these occasions in the following terms it was on the first of august that a number of men fugitives from that boasted land of freedom assembled at the hall of commerce in the city of london for the purpose of laying their wrongs before the british nation and at the same time to give thanks to the god of freedom for the liberation of their west india brethren on the first of august eighteen thirty four at the hour of half-past seven for which the meeting had been called the spacious hall was well filled and the fugitives followed by some of the most noted english abolitionists entered the hall amid deafening applause and took their seats on the platform 
the appearance of the great hall at this juncture was most splendid besides the committee of fugitives on the platform there were a number of the oldest and most devoted of the slaves friends on the left of the chair sat george thompson esq m p sir j walmsley m p joseph hume esq m p and many other equally noted public men not far from the platform sat sir francis knowles bart still further back was samuel bowley esq while near the door were to be seen the greatest critic of the age and england's best living poet macaulay had laid down his pen entered the hall and was standing near the central door while not far from the historian stood the newly appointed poet laureate the author of in memoriam had been swept in by the crowd and was standing with his arms folded and beholding for the first time and probably the last so large a number of coloured men in one room the chair was most appropriately filled by william wells brown the distinguished fugitive slave from america the chairman first addressed the meeting in an eloquent and feeling manner after which speeches were made by mr george thompson and others the gathering was the most spirited one of the kind held in london for many years and a good impression was made upon the assembled multitude no american visiting great britain ever had better opportunity of becoming acquainted with the condition of all classes of society than mr brown he saw every phase of life in england ireland scotland and wales he partook of the hospitality of the lord in his magnificent country seat and the peasant in his lowly cottage a fashionable dinner is thus described by the fugitive in his sketches of places and people abroad it was on a pleasant afternoon in september that i had gone into surrey to dine with lord c and found myself one of a party of nine seated at a table loaded with every thing that heart could wish four men-servants in livery with white gloves waited upon the company after the different courses had been changed the wine occupied the most conspicuous place on the table and all seemed to drink with a relish unappreciated except by those who move in the higher walks of life my glass was the only one on the table into which the juice of the grape had not been poured it takes more nerve than most men possess to enable one to decline taking a glass of wine with a lady and in english society they do not appear to understand how human beings can live and enjoy health without taking at least a little wine but my continued refusal to drink with first one and then another of the company i had become rather an object of pity than otherwise a lady of the party and in company with whom i had dined on a previous occasion and who knew me to be an abstainer resolved to relieve me from the awkward position in which my principles had placed me and therefore caused a decanter of raspberry vinegar to be adulterated and brought on the table a note in pencil from the lady informed me of the contents of the new bottle i am partial to this kind of beverage and felt glad when it made its appearance no one of the party except the lady knew of the fraud and i was able during the remainder of the time to drink with any of the company the waiters as a matter of course were in the secret for they had to make the change while passing the wine from me to the person with whom i drank after a while as is usual the ladies all rose and left the room the retiring of the fair sex left the gentlemen in a more free and easy position and consequently the topics of conversation were materially changed but not for the better the presence of ladies is always a restraint in the right direction an hour after the ladies had gone the gentlemen were requested to retire to the drawing-room where we found tea ready to be served up 
i was glad when the time came to leave for the drawing-room for i felt it a great bore to be compelled to remain at the table three hours tea over the wine was again brought on and the company took a stroll through the grounds at the back of the villa it was a bright moonlight night the stars were out and the air came laden with the perfume of sweet flowers and there was no sound to be heard except the musical splashing of the little cascade at the end of the garden and the song of the nightingale that seemed to be in one of the trees near by how pleasant everything looked with the flowers creeping about the summer-house and the windows opening into the velvet lawn with its modest front neat trellis-work and meandering vines the small smooth fish-pond and the lifelike statue standing or kneeling in different parts of the ground gave it the appearance of a very paradise there said his lordship is where cowley used to sit under the tree and read this reminded me that we were near chertsey where the poet spent his last days and as i was invited to spend the night within a short ride of that place i resolved to visit it the next day we returned to the drawing-room and in a few minutes after the party separated although mingling with some of the best men and women of europe mr brown never forgot his countrymen in bonds or overlooked the fact that he was himself closely connected with them nor did his elevated position prevent his speaking out faithfully against the evils that degrade humanity in the old world the temperance cause peace education and the elevation of the labouring classes in great britain claimed much of his time and attention during his residence abroad mr brown travelled more than twenty-five thousand miles through great britain addressed above one thousand public meetings and lectured before twenty-three literary societies besides speaking at religious and benevolent anniversaries few persons could have accomplished more labour than did this fugitive slave during his five years absence from america mr brown rendered most valuable services to the cause of freedom while in england by keeping on the track of every pro-slavery renegade who made his appearance there as an advocate of slavery rev dr prime dr dyer and others of the same way of thinking found the fugitive at their heels wherever they went he exposed them and held them up to the scorn and contempt of the people of great britain through the columns of the english journals End of chapter twenty two